0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you.
1: We have a guest speaker with us this morning. His name is Jason Ballard. And I first heard about Jason many years ago as a passionate student in high school, rallying uh, students to pray for their school. And I heard about this and this started a movement across the lower mainland in BC and spread throughout to the interior of BC. And since that time, Jason has been passionate about introducing people to Jesus, passionate about prayer, passionate about rallying young people to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And he has been doing that, uh, involved in a local church himself, and he is an associate pastor at Christian Life Assembly in Vancouver. He also works for Alpha International and travels the world training and equipping people to use the Alpha Course to reach out um, to others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is married to Rachel, has three children, and uh, loves the local church, loves Canada, and wants to see churches all across our nation fulfill just their. Calling before God to advance the gospel here in Canada. And so we're just so happy to have you, Jason, with us this morning. So let's give him a warm Center Street welcome, shall we? Thanks, buddy.
0: Appreciate it, man. That's kind of.
1: Well, hey, good morning, you guys. Are you doing all right?
0: Man, I have just loved my time here at Center Street so far last night. Um, and this morning and then to be with you today and this evening is so exciting. And um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Centre Street is famous across Canada. And uh, you're famous for your love. You're famous for your generosity. And there's gossip amongst the church in Canada about this church that so generously gives to missions. And the cause of Christ locally and around the world. And so I just, it's an honor to be with you. And I guess I know that sometimes you just don't know what it is that you're part of when you're in it, you know what I mean? But it's such a special place. And there's, so, so thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your love and for the way you've encouraged the body of Christ. I read it last night, but there's a verse that came to mind when I thought about you guys. I don't know if I haven't marked anymore. I do. So we're good. Um, this isn't the text I'm going to teach on, but it's just—it's just it's just A verse that came to mind when I was thinking about Center Street. And I marked it with a note from my daughter, Mary, that said, feel better, Daddy. Get well really fast. I love you, Mary and Millie. She signed for her, her sister as well. And there's the artwork for her. Anyways, it marked this verse that I wanted to read to you guys. Uh, Philemon, uh, verse 4, says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brothers and sisters, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people And it's a special thing to be here on Canada Day because um, this is a church that captures the heartbeat of a nation. And God is on the move in Canada. He is. I have the privilege of working with church leaders across the country. And is it true that there are many churches closing? Yes, yes. Is it true that there are pockets where it can feel discouraging and like things are on the decline? Absolutely. Is it, do we feel the cultural currents changing in Canada as the moral perspective in the nation around us is shifting? Absolutely. But, but, I see more cause for hope than I do despair. I do. And I, I, I'm just not even puffing up. I see more cause for hope than I do for despair. Like the ministry that I'm part of, I, I travel with my friend Peter, Peter's the youth pastor at our home church, and uh, what we're seeing at our home church is young people taking the message of Jesus to their friends and to their schools. Uh, when we started working with Alpha about eight or nine years ago, there was 70, seven zero Alpha youth courses happening in Canada. This year so far, we're halfway through the year, or just over halfway through, I guess, or... This year, so far, there's been 1,500 Alpha Youth courses happening in Canada. And check this out. Many of those, hundreds of those, hundreds of those are student-led happening in or in the proximity of a school. Not everyone's allowed to do it in a school, so they're doing it at coffee shops and at homes, and we love that. Because it's not about being in the school, it's for the students. But there's hundreds of student-led expressions of Alpha. Last year, over 109,000 people did Alpha. It's an amazing example, but it's not the full picture. This isn't just one thing. I see across the board, new churches. I just was chatting with a friend who leads a denomination um, in Atlantic Canada, And every church in the denomination, it seemed, has been on decline. And they finally reoriented themselves around church planting. And they just planted their first church in the denomination in a while. And it's exploding in Halifax, Nova Scotia. This new, young, dynamic church. And it's revitalizing this denomination. I mean, there's so much cause for hope. And I think the best days for the church in Canada are ahead. And here's what I believe. I believe um, that the way in which we're going to see we're gonna see the move of God that our heart longs for, a move of healing and justice and mercy and love that's restoring families and communities and taking orphans and placing them in homes and seeing people's lives changed by the gospel. That movement, it's not going to be led by a dynamic speaker or one single church or one denomination. It is going to be the hands and feet of millions of followers of Jesus moving from being a spectator of something that might have happened to being a participant. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how every one of us is invited to participate. The text we're going to look at is in Mark chapter 2, and um, it's a story about a group of guys that brought a friend to Jesus on a mat, and they rip a hole through a roof, and they lower him in front of Jesus, and in front of the crowds, we see this one individual have this profound encounter with Jesus, and I think one of the things that we're meant to see, we're going to look at a lot of different aspects of the text this morning, but I think one of the primary themes we're meant to see is that it's it's possible to be in the crowd as a spectator. And miss the opportunity that this unique guy has the opportunity to encounter Jesus personally. That's possible to be in a room like this. Even hearing the message of Jesus and songs sung about Jesus. And hearing testimonies about what he's doing. But just participate and miss the opportunity to encounter him personally. And in a similar way, it's possible to be in the crowd watching as somebody gets healed. And miss the opportunity that these four guys get to have of partnering with Jesus and seeing their friend healed. I wanna show you a picture of my kids. I don't know if you guys have that at the back handy, Um, but this is my wife and my kids my wife's called Rachel. Hudson is my best buddy. He's the boy there. He's turning five this July. And Mary just turned three. And she wants, she's already talking about her birthday party for next year. She's told me she wants to have a donut parade birthday party. Does anyone know what a donut parade birthday party is? (laughs) Because I'm trying to figure that one out. Um, I just have this like picture of like me holding a bunch of donuts. And I don't know what to do. We're going to figure it out. We've got almost a year. And then Millie turns one in July. And um, Hudson, I'm teaching him right now. do you remember stop, look, and listen? Do you remember that? Like if you're, if, if he's running up towards a curb, I say, Hudson, you got to stop. It's always good to stop. You don't want to run into the street. It's just good advice. Um, stop, and then you look. I say, Hudson, then you look and went, look down both ways, and then listen. Stop, look, and listen, and that's good advice when it comes to crossing a street or walking into a parking lot after church. But I also think that's a deeply profound spiritual discipline that we can all adopt. Because we, as Canadians, are addicted to a form of busyness. There's so many things vying for our attention at any given moment. And just a mix of our human nature and the effects of millions and millions of marketing expressions around us. We just have one thing after another and one need of our own to attend to after another. And we're always going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And it would help us. When it comes to joining God, moving from a spectator to participant, to pause, to stop a few moments in our day, to look around and see the needs around us, and then to listen to the Lord and say, God, what are you up to around me? To stop, to look, and to listen. And even for me this morning... Waking up, oh, I've got my sermon on my mind, and okay, okay, what, you know, and what do I need to tweak this morning after what I said last night, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm going to get ready, and then I'm trying to text my wife at home, see how the kids are doing, and all these things, and I can find myself almost all the way up to the platform this morning, and not having asked the Spirit, what are you up to today, right? And, and I'm supposed to be a godly person. <laughs> But isn't is isn't it just crazy? So I just remember in the first service, there's a beautiful violin and cellist playing and I just, there's this moment where it's just music and I just pause and I was like, okay, Lord, sorry. I, I mean, I prayed for his help and his power, but I didn't stop and look around and listen and say, God, what are you up to in this place? And you know, what's so amazing when we stop, we look and listen, we realize that God is on the move around us. God is on the move in Calgary. He is, on your street, in your workplace, in your school, and in your family. And we are not the initiators. When it comes to participating, we're joining in on what God is already doing. He's healing, he's saving, he's revealing himself. And there's an invitation for all of us to join God, to give up whatever it is that we're pursuing, whether it's business fame, or popularity, or success, or comfort, those things that will never satisfy. Give those up and join God in the renewal of all things. Anyways, let's read the text. Um, because that was a longer introduction than I had budgeted time for. So it's really good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I think they've got the text available on the screen, so you can read along with me. Uh, It's Mark chapter 2, and it says this. I'll read it all the way through, and then we'll pause and go through specific verses and see what the application might be for us today. It says this. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.' Verse 6, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that is such an important question. And every human being on planet earth has to wrestle with that question. Who can forgive sins? Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit, that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man now, the word Son of Man is one of Jesus' favorite nicknames for himself, and so Jesus would say this, and it's actually a callback to the book of Daniel, where there's a prophetic message about one that would come in power to bring deliverance and salvation, and, and so in this moment. Jesus is is, is calling back that, but then the gospel writer Mark and the other gospel writers use it as well, are trying to begin to say and help us see that this isn't just a man or a good teacher or a miracle worker. The thesis of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that we would see that Jesus is God. And only God has the power to save. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. It says this, verse 12 is so good. He took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for these minutes together. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would move in our hearts. God, that your word would do the loudest speaking. Your voice through your word. God, I confess that I have found myself in the habit of just doing church. And so, God, I pray that you jar us out of the routine of just showing up and listening and leaving. We don't want to just be spectators. God, I'm praying for each of us that we'd have a unique and special encounter with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to start at verse 1. And two, says this, it says a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there's no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So what we have here is Jesus has come into this town that he's been to before. And he's gathering in the home of somebody. It's probably not a huge home, but so many people, And it's not a big town. So a number of people have come and it's so packed that you can't even get in. There's a guy who has a physical paralysis and their friends want to bring him in, but they can't because the place is so packed. And so it makes me want to ask the question, why is it so packed? Why is the place so packed? And the answer is that he is in verse 1. He returned again to Capernaum, meaning he had been there before. And what did he do last time that he was in this town? Well, we can look at Mark chapter 1 and we can see that he was healing the sick, that he was casting out demons we can suppose that he was teaching. This is what he did. In Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 9, it says that he went around the towns and the villages, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, healing, um, teaching the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and healing all sorts of sicknesses and disease. This is what he did. And so gossip began to spread amongst the people of Capernaum about the man Jesus, the things that he taught and the things that he did. And some people, they came because they were antagonized or confronted by the things that he was doing. For example, the religious leaders. They weren't coming because they were hopeful to encounter some sort of form of love and hope themselves. They were threatened by Jesus. They were threatened by his claims, and we see this and we'll pay more attention to it in a moment, when they address this question, who can forgive sins but God alone? They were threatened that Jesus was starting a counter-temple movement. That he would lead a people in a way that would undermine the power that they had. So Jesus, his teachings was threatening to the religious leaders, but it was hopeful and intriguing for others. This is the nature of the message of Jesus, isn't it? It never leaves you just sort of, hmm, bored. Like, I mean, the real Jesus, his real teaching, his real activity, there's no sort of, hmm, on to your next thing. It never gives you that. The types of responses we see when the real Jesus on the scene is desperate laying down of life, total transformation, or complete antagonism. Pushed away, repelled, I want, threatened. And so I'm cautious that sometimes as preachers, as Canadian gospel preachers, we can present, present a message of Jesus that leads us going, hmm. I'm cautious of a church that leaves people going, hmm, indifferent. Indifferent. But gossip was spreading through Capernaum because of the healings. You see, you can imagine like a mom or a dad in this town, and they have a son who's sick. Mark chapter 1 says that he was healing people. So can you imagine your son or daughter left one morning and then came home healed? Could you imagine that? Some of you guys have kids that are sick. And the thought of the one that you love coming home healed or transformed, you wouldn't be able to keep quiet about it. You wouldn't be able to stop talking. What happened, son? I met this guy, Jesus. He prayed for me and now I can see. And so the gossip of what God had done, what Jesus had done in this town, began to spread. And people began to hear, and somehow the gossip went from one to another to these four friends. And these four friends, all they had was a hunch that last time Jesus was here, people were being healed. I wonder if we got our friend to Jesus, if he too could be healed. They had a hunch, a hope, maybe just Maybe, if we get our friend to Jesus. And it makes me wonder, what is the gossip about Jesus in Calgary? What is the gossip about the kingdom of God in Canada? Because you better believe that people are getting information about Jesus through media sources and all sorts of cultural commentaries that don't reflect the real Jesus. They're not hearing the stories that we might hear. So the gossip of the kingdom of God, from the miraculous to the mundane, must be on our lips. We need to learn to let the stories of God's goodness spill out. I've been in this church this weekend for not even 24 hours yet, and I've heard stories of people being delivered from from all sorts of abuse, emotional pain, and real addiction. I met a young man who came on Alpha, who gave his life to Jesus and has changed his entire life. He feels called to serve God and be a leader in the church. Just in the few minutes I've been here, I've already heard so many stories of life, of of healing ministry, and deliverance ministry, and ministry to youth and young adults and seniors. There are stories. There are kings. Kingdom stories at work in this place, and we have to let them find their way out of our mouths to our friends that don't know Jesus, that the gospel of the kingdom of God could find its way out. And the thing is, I am the worst evangelist there is. I'm telling you guys, this is easy. This is easy. I have no threat of you guys pushing me away or rejecting me, and even if you don't, I can barely see you, it's dim in this place. I was invited to come, but when, I, when I'm at the end of my driveway and my neighbor, Daryl, with his dog that barks so loud is there, I, all of my courage that I have in this moment, it's gone. Where did it go? And part of it is I can feel overwhelmed by this pressure that I need to be able to explain everything, that I need to be able to take somebody from zero to full knowledge of Christ in one single conversation. And it reminds me of this experience in John chapter 9 where there's this man healed who was blind. And the religious leaders started pestering him and even his parents. What happened? Who did this? How did this happen? And then he says this. It says they asked him again. And he goes, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. And I think one of the great invitations that we can give people is to come and see. I don't know. Jesus has saved my life. changed my life. Come along and see. Come over and have a meal at my house. Be with my family. Come and join me on Alpha. I don't have all the answers, but let's chat about it together. Come out to a service. We'll grab lunch afterwards. We can chat about it. I I don't know all the answers, but I want you to come and see. Come along with me. Open up your lives. How do we do come and see? What if they don't want to come to church? Open up your lives. Come into my life and see. And that's what we see happening here in Mark chapter 2. People just coming to see for themselves. They heard the gossip. They felt welcome enough in this house, so much so that they packed this house to the place where these guys had to carve a hole through the roof to make their way in. Let's keep on going. It says verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now this is such an interesting thing that Jesus says. Son, your sins are forgiven. And it's interesting, it's interesting because the obvious need was the paralysis of his body. Are you with me? Like there was, it's not unclear what the friend's brought their friend for. And we've already read to the end of the story, so we know that Jesus isn't saying, hey, I don't care about your physical need, because he does heal him. I love that scene where he takes up his mat, this thing that's been the symbol of his paralysis, and he walks out with it in his arm. I mean, it's a beautiful scene. He heals this man, but it's as if Jesus is saying, I see the paralysis of your body, but there is a deeper need here. There is a deeper, more significant, more life-threatening or life-significant need. And it's a paralysis of your soul. When he says your sins are forgiven, he is getting at the core of the human problem. Is that we have been fractured from our Heavenly Father. We were made to have a life-giving relationship with God. And sin, it disconnects us from God. And so when Jesus is saying, son, your sins are forgiven... He's inviting this guy to be reconnected with God, completely separate from some sort of temple system or religious exercise. You can be connected with, I mean, it's an incredible invitation. Jesus is saying there's a deeper need. There is a deeper, more significant need. I, um, one of my favorite stories we heard, in 2013, we launched the very first Alpha Youth series. And there was a church in Richmond, a Chinese Anglican church that was doing Alpha. And there was about 20 high school students doing it in the basement of the church. And they went through the whole course, the discussion, all the stuff. They, they did the Alpha weekend, which is an emphasis on the person and work of the Holy Spirit and prayer ministry. They came to a talk that was on healing. And at the end, these students said, well, let's give it a try. Let's pray, let's pray for each other. And there's one girl who had scars up and down her arms from self-harm. And self-injury is is way too common amongst young people today. The stats, they're staggering. And I'm very under-equipped to explain the whys and the nature of what's going on, but it does speak to a deep emotional heartache that people are experiencing. They feel so disconnected from the pain that it somehow becomes a more viable option to to, to experience the acute pain of self-harm to somehow bring about a relief from the deeper emotional pain. So she had scars up and down her arm, on both arms, and it sa- they said that as some young people began to pray for her, they watched as the scars on her left arm began to disappear. And then over the next week, the scars on the other arm began to disappear. And I've been, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> It's amazing. It's amazing. I know some of you, you're skeptical of these stories, and it's, it's, it's okay to be skeptical because I was skeptical, so I had to ask. I, I called the youth pastor. Is this is a true story. I said, yeah, it's true. We, I've seen, I saw the scars before. I saw them after. And since this time, I've heard of two other stories in British Columbia of young people having their scars healed. At a Baptist youth camp called Camp Quantos, a girl with scars on her arm healed. Now, I've prayed for so many young people that have scars from self-harm, most of whom not healed. But do you know what I love about this story? I love about this story is the fact that the God that heals the scars on her arm is the God who's most interested and most committed to healing the scars on her heart. In fact, it wouldn't be enough if he just healed the scars on her arm. It wouldn't be enough. And God, he never settles for surface. He always wants to go to the the deepest need. In your life, the deepest need. Your soul need. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what the cross was about. That's what his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension and the sending of his spirit is all about. That you may be filled with God in a life given way. Sin that won't separate, no longer. That you may have an intimate relationship with him. And that in the infilling of the spirit, you may also be sent out to extend and be an ambassador, a witness of what you've experienced, to participate in his plan of bringing healing to others. i got to tell you this. What this story is not saying... What the story is not saying is that there's somehow a relationship between this guy's physical paralysis and his sin. I want to make that clear. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding about this text, that perhaps, uh, OK, the reason is and people, people sometimes will teach this, the physical paralysis is connected, but if you want, you can just go to John chapter nine, and we've already been there, um, that story about the boy who was healed. At the beginning of the chapter, the disciples asked the question we were just addressing. Says this, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I really believe that gives us a theological um, support to disconnect that premise that would assert that this is about a connection between his sin and his physical paralysis. This is about Jesus saying there's a deeper, more profound need. And I've been thinking about this idea of the deeper need, the sin need. And I think there is um almost like a pressure in the Canadian context. Even on Christians. There's like a a worldview pressure to say, well, maybe, maybe all that people need is just community, or maybe people just need more social help, or maybe... And it's, again, like—and again, what I, I think one of the things that God uses to bring healing is the community of the family of God. So it's not to under—but I, I guess what I'm getting at is there's almost a pressure that might say maybe there isn't, like, a spiritual need. Maybe, maybe the sin thing, maybe that's an archaic from the past. But I believe what the New Testament is teaching, I believe, is the firm conviction of this church and of many of you is that, you know— There's nothing, like, there's no social services or political system or new invention or technology that's going to bring about the flourishing of society. No amount of research. And then on the individual journey, you're never going to make enough money, marry the right person, have the right kids, or find yourself in the right kind of prominence and position that will ever satisfy the longing of your heart because you are made for soul relationship with God. That you're more than just skin, like do you see what I mean? There is this pressure, and sometimes as Christians we feel it, and it kind of can, it can kind of cool down our evangelistic passion, can't it? It can kind of find ourselves, because there's this pressure to not speak on those terms, to not even suggest that. But I believe what this is calling us to do is to see in our own life, that because we can find ourselves, even as followers of Jesus, pursuing the things of this world as if they'll bring hope, and to remember they're never going to satisfy the only thing they'll satisfy is Christ himself. And for this world, the good news of the gospel is that you don't need more money to be happy. You don't need more prominence to be happy. You don't need the perfect spouse to be happy. You don't need perfect friends. You don't have to live in a perfect... Because if that was true, no one would ever know fullness of life. But the good news of the gospel is come and see one who, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the fra- frailty of life, in the midst of letdown, has given me fullness of life. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the joy of Jesus. That's why I said earlier that the stories that need to be on our lips need to be from the miraculous to the mundane. I love the miraculous stories of healing and transformation. My brother Kevin's been battling brain cancer for the last four years, and there, there's been moments where it felt like miraculous healing, but you know his testimony is more of the mundane. It's more of the mundane. It's, I'm getting through it as I'm taking chemo for the last couple years. It's mundane. It's even though I can't work like I used to, and even though I, I have to take these pills, and even though I've got this almost death sentence looming on my life, I've got a reason to live. I'm his. I can know fullness of life. Man, would it be amazing to tell a story? Oh, my brother was miraculous healed. The cancer, it's all gone. That's the miraculous, but I think it's just as powerful for the gossip of the mundane to be on our lips. You know what? I'm dealing with this. I've got, it. I've got, I've got, I'm, I'm sick. I've got pain. My spouse left me. My kids, it's, there can be I I lost my job, but I have reason to hope. That's the good news of the gossip. That's the good news of the kingdom. That's the gospel of the kingdom that can be on our lips. And I say all of that to say these guys heard the gossip, and they brought their friend to Jesus, and they got way more than they bargained for, right? They got so much more than they bargained for. They thought they were going to get him healed. He got healed, and his life was changed. And his life was changed. And the religious leaders, they asked this question who can forgive sins but God alone? This is a massive claim. The reason why the religious leaders were so bothered by this, because to claim that you can forgive sins is tantamount to claiming to be God. So not only are they threatened by the way that Jesus is undermining their, their, their position of power, they're also, they say it's blaspheme. Why is it blasphemy? He's claiming to be God. And to that, the gospel writer would say, exactly. So am I. I'm claiming that Jesus is God. That's what this is about. You might not find yourself using the language of forgiveness of sins, but this is what's at stake here. Is story about how do you find wholeness of life in God? You were made to know God. Sin separates us from God. And Jesus is saying that I am the one who has the authority. To forgive your sins and bring you into relationship with God. And to become a Christian, and to be a follower, and I realize there's people here, you're exploring, you got tricked into coming this morning from a friend, I don't know what brought you here, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. It happens all the time, I'm so sorry, people trick you. I thought I was going out for breakfast, how did I end up in here? Anyways. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, I'm I'm always cautious to try to summarize Christianity in a short statement. Part of it is this. Part of it is placing 100% of our bet that Jesus was God so he had the authority to forgive sins and that what he said to this man, he says to every one of us, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. It's moving all of our faith off of ourselves saying, I'm going to bring about full life and fullness of life on my own. I'm going to bring my own, through my good works, my righteousness, whatever I am, going to bring about my own. It's shifting all of our saying. I'm I'm betting 100%. I'm betting 100% that Jesus wasn't just a man, that he was God, and that he offered the forgiveness of sins. So I'm putting my faith in his declaration. Because it was a statement, son, your sins are forgiven. And that young man walks out the room carrying his mat, believing one of two things. Either this guy was a fake and I need to start, I need to keep going back to the temple. I need to keep doing my thing. Or he says, this guy was God and what he said is true in which I lived the liberated life. I am free from the grip of sin. I have full confidence. I can live the liberated life that comes from knowing that I have been forgiven and made right with God. That is what's at stake here. I think that sometimes we forget, you know, what's at stake we forget about this deeper need, the soul need. One of the young guys that came on an Alpha experience at our church was a young student. I think he was 15 or 16 years old. His name was Mark, and he came. Um, He's doing Alpha at a high school, and we are some of the high school students in our youth ministry, they, they, we see this all across Canada. They run Alphas in their schools, and they sometimes do it at lunch hour after school. And so someone invited Mark and said, hey, Mark, would you like to come to Alpha? And I said, hey, why did you say yes? He goes, I had nothing else to do. So I went. I love that. That's perfect. I had nothing else to do, so I went. And uh, he said he was an expressed atheist. His parents were atheists, and he had thought for himself, done a bit of reading and some research, and he had come to the conclusion. that He, too, was an atheist. But he, you know, he took the, offer, the invitation to be part of these discussions. He loved that he could come with his questions, and they could talk about matters of faith and where he was from. And over the course of about six weeks, his heart was softening. And he heard the message of Jesus, and it began to sort of make some sense here. But then on the Alpha weekend, he received prayer. And it says that it became real in his heart and that changed everything. And he decided to invite Jesus to be the Lord of his life. And then he said this, I love this. I said, so what happened, bro? He goes, it's like Jesus filled a void in my heart that I didn't even know that I had until after it was filled. Isn't that amazing? It's like Jesus filled a void in my heart that I didn't even know that I had. And it makes me think that there are millions of Canadians, maybe it's you in this room, and you're walking around and you just don't even know the void. You don't even know that you were wired to know God. So many people they don't even know. And we have this opportunity to say, God, would you use me like you use these four guys to be part of seeing other people healed, and come to the knowledge of your forgiveness of sins. And I find great hope in the story of this, these four guys. You want to know why? Because these evangelists, I think it's fair to call them evangelists, the four friends that brought their buddy on a mat, they weren't even planning to see their friends come to know Jesus in that way that day, were they? What were they doing? They saw a need. They had a hunch. They rearranged their day They even went to the point of ripping down a roof. They weren't experts in the gospel. They weren't professionals. In fact, as far as we know, they didn't even know what they were bargaining for that day, but they got to go to bed that night thinking of how amazing it was to participate in what Jesus was doing. Isn't that kind of Jesus? Don't you see that throughout the gospels, how Jesus includes people in his mission that he didn't need to? And that's what he's still doing today. He's not looking for the most educated the most talented, the most well connected. Listen to this. He's not even looking for the most moral. He's not. He's not looking for the most moral. He's looking for willing hearts that would say, God, I don't want to be a spectator in the things that you're doing in Canada. I don't want to just be a spectator in the things that you're doing in Calgary. I want to participate. How do we participate? I think it starts with stopping and looking and listening. Slowing down enough in our day to say, God, where are their needs around me? What are you already up to? How can I participate? For me, my journey in joining God began by making lists of my friends that didn't know Jesus and just praying for them every day. And what just began to happen in my life is I began to partner with God, even in a spiritual way, as I saw him softening their hearts but it just began to change my eyesight as I saw my friends in my high school a little bit differently. And then I see as, you know, since high school I find myself, I've moved, I've found myself in different ways. And I see how life has a way of insulating me from people around me. And so now my prayer is, God, would you help me find myself in proximity with those that are far from you? Like that it's not enough for me just to be casual, but I've got to actually like rearrange the business of my schedule to make moments to find myself near to those who are at need. Just this, this last month, um, Peter, myself, and a few others, we've just gotten involved with a, a recovery home called Wagner Hills for guys coming out of addiction. And one of the reasons we've gotten involved with a Thursday night program there, and it's been so life-giving for us, but one of the reasons why I signed up to be part of this Thursday night thing is because I had thought, because my heart's been open to be connected to those on the margins. I had thought that eventually it will just happen, but I realized that just the way of... Our suburban or urban lifestyles, we can so insulate our lives that I didn't accidentally find myself near to the poor or the marginalized or those far from. I had, to, I had to actually pause long enough and begin to actually change the rhythms of my life so I could come close. And I feel nowhere near where I want to be on this journey. But I'm just like you, finding myself with the courage to pray on a Sunday morning like this, God, I'm willing and I'm open and I want to join you in what you're doing here in Calgary. That was my prayer this morning. you know what my prayer tomorrow morning will be? God, what are you up to in Langley? That's the suburb I'm from. Tonight I'm flying home. I'm going to pray for your city on my way out and I'm going to land into Vancouver and I'm going to be so happy. I love Calgary but God's called me to the Mainland and I don't know how long I've been called there and I don't know how long you're called here but if God has you here today he has you here for a purpose. I believe that. I believe that. How do we end how do we end today? Well, I want to pray. Um, I just want to take a moment for us to posture ourselves before the Lord and just say, God, how might I respond to the message this morning? And so if you're comfortable, would you maybe bow your head and close your eyes? Nothing magical about that posture, but maybe even open up your hands before God. It's just kind of like a posture of humility that say, God, I'm open. And would you just begin to pray, God, how might I, might, how might I respond this morning? What do you want to speak to me? And we'll just take a minute. And uh, if, if you're all right with it, I'm gonna just pray and invite the Holy Spirit just to come and, and just begin to speak to us and fill us with his power and his love. And even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just invite you, if you're open, just to begin to say, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? And one of the signs of that could just be opening up your, your hands before God It's just a symbol of your heart. Say, God, I'm open. I don't, I don't know, but I'm open. So Holy Spirit, you're here. God, you live in the hearts of your people and you come uniquely when we gather, but I also pray that you just come even now in more power, that you'd speak to us and that you would fill us afresh. There's a few things specific I want to pray for, but I just want to give maybe 20 seconds just just of silence, just to welcome the Holy Spirit and let him begin to speak to each of us. Holy Spirit, would you just move in this place? just as we're praying, I felt like, we didn't pray for this in any of the other services, but I just felt like I want to pray for some people here who you feel desperate for God's power in the midst of the mundane. And what I mean by that is that you're very aware of the burdens of life. And when I was even just talking about a, a basic testimony of having joy in the midst of trials, you found yourself saying, I don't even know if I have joy. I'm so burdened by the things of life and things going on in my life. I need to know that mundane miracle of God's peace and presence in the midst of what I'm going through. Um, I don't know if you guys do stuff like this at this church, but I'm gonna, I want to do it. If that's you, can you just shoot up your hand? I just want to pray for you. If you're saying, I just need to, yeah, there's hands all over. Just hold it up for a second, just a little longer. Just if that's you, I just want to just pray. If you just can, just hold it up for a moment. I'll pray really quickly. God, you see each of these hands that are just saying, I need to know the miraculous presence of God in the midst of my life right now. Yeah, God, I ask for supernatural breakthrough healing if they need it, restored marriages, financial provision, whatever the miracle is. But God, even now, I just pray that the peace of your spirit would just come and meet right with them where they're at. That the testimony of their life would be in the midst of it all, in the midst of the trials of life, I knew my portion was in the Lord. My sustainer was Jesus. And the peace of the Holy Spirit ruled and reigned in my life, even though the seas were raging around me. And so God, I just pray for each of those in it right now, that the story of their life would be the faithful presence of the Lord never left my side. And would you comfort them? Uh, Holy Spirit, come alongside them right now with your peace in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, The other ones I want to pray for are just those of you, you're not a follower of Jesus. And... This morning, you want to move from being a spectator. You've been in church, maybe maybe it's the first time we've been in church a lot before you've heard the message. Um, But you're saying, I don't want to just be in the crowd. I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. There are uh, prayer ministry team members that will be here at the front. Um, I know Pastor Kent and others would love to meet with you if any questions. But if that's you, I just want to lead you in a very, very quick prayer. And essentially, there's no magic recipe. There's no magic words. But it's through faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross that we can actually move from just being a spectator to intimate with him. And the whole idea that we can be close to Jesus seems so scandalous. How could I... Come close to him. And that's the beauty of what Jesus has done is he's broken the barrier. He's forgiven us our sin and invites us to come close. And so if that's you, in your personal walk with Jesus, you want to move from being a spectator to having a personal friendship with him, why don't you, do, I'll just pray in short stanzas so there's little gaps for you to grab hold of the words that I pray and you can make them your own in, in your heart if you want. And uh, you, you just pray after me if you want, just a whisper in your heart. You say, dear Jesus, today I want to begin a personal friendship with you. I heard what you spoke to the man 2,000 years ago. Son, your sins are forgiven. And I just receive that offer in faith today. Forgive my sins. Make me a new person. And draw me into a relationship with you. I've heard about you. I've heard songs about you. But today I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want to make you the main thing. The number one. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come and live in my life. And never leave me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to pray for one thing and then I'm going to hand it back to Kent. God, I pray for every one of us. That we would no longer function as spectators of the work of your kingdom but God, that we would be those who participate. And I know that there is a bubbling up in the hearts of others that say, God, I want to join you. And so, God, I pray that you just begin to open our eyes, even tomorrow when we wake up, as we walk into our workplace or we walk you know, down our street, God, we just begin to see the needs and we have the courage to respond. God, we thank you that you're at work in our great nation. Today on Canada Day, we not just pray for the Christians in this room. God, we pray that you would ignite your church in Canada on fire again. God, we're not asking for just a John Wesley or a Billy Graham. God, we're praying for millions and millions of followers of Jesus. In Canada to rise up in their place of influence, God, in their workplaces, in their schools, on university campuses, in homes, and communities, that you would ignite your church again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: You know, when God's word is preached and taught, the Bible is a living word right, and uh, he moves, God moves as his word is taught, and as Jason said, when you're talking about Jesus, you're either drawn in, or maybe you're a bit resistant, and our prayer has been that you are drawn in. What I'm trying to say is, don't leave here without spending a few moments in prayer, in your seat, with someone you came with on your own, if you sense God by his spirit doing something in you. Uh, We have prayer partners that will be here up at the front. We'd love to pray with you and agree with you, pray with you, that you step into fully what Jesus is calling you to do, even today. And as we all leave this place, this building, I want you to read above every exit. And what it says on there is you are now entering the mission. Now you are engaging with Jesus in his mission So as you leave this place, read that and say, yes, I am now participating once again with you, Jesus, and what you want me to do, right? So stay, pray in your seats if you want to do that. Pray up front here with someone, and as you go, look above the doorway. Um, If you did pray after Jason here to invite Jesus to be Lord of your life, we want to help you. We don't want you to make that commitment, that surrendering, that, that declaration, that decision, and feel alone. We don't want you to feel alone in that. We'd love to help you. Maybe today just come down, talk to some a prayer partner and say, hey, I prayed, can you, can you just help me out and we'll give you some next steps. Maybe it's next week or the week after, but please, we want to help you on your spiritual journey. Be a follower of Jesus. So now as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance, his glory upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, church. We'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit
1: our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.